Well, we are in uh, week four of a series called Roadmap, and we are going through the book of Galatians. And what Paul is discussing inside of the text here is that there is a predetermined course. There is a simple path for how you get to eternity, how you get into right relationship, and that there are plenty of distractions along the way. And we get this, like when you and I enter in coordinates into our GPS, right, we are understanding that the GPS knows there's a way to get to where we're going. And this is, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying here that, that there, is, there is one way to the promise. It's very, very simple, but there are loads of distractions along the way. And he's talking to a group of people that have been distracted. And he's very concerned for them. You get the, the sense that Paul feels as if the world has gone mad. He keeps using this language. He'll use it again here in chapter 4, like, this language of like, I, I, maybe everything I did was in vain. Maybe you, maybe you don't care, right? Paul has this feeling, this, this idea that, that, that something's not right. Paul calls out their lack of reason. Like, why are you not thinking? Why are you not processing? He's asking questions in chapter 3 so that they can come to some answers. And when they answer those questions, he's hoping that by answering the question, they'll come to some realization like, oh, okay, that, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is a skill set, a tool that's used by counselors all over the world today. You ask questions to get people to come to a place where they're reasoning, where they're thinking, where they're using logic. The problem is that they're missing the big picture. Now, on a spiritual level, I would say that there is a war that is waging. This is what Scripture tells us over and over. There is a war waging for humanity. And, and, and the path into eternity is so simple, but it is such a narrow gate. Guaranteed access, plenty of road signs along the way, but it is a narrow gate, and it is not... It does not allow for detours. And so we're in Galatians chapter 4 here in verse 1. And so Paul, coming off of what he has just said, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. And so this word, I mean, right? So we're in chapter four, verse one. I'll just remind you, we put chapters and verses in there as a way to help us divide some big thoughts, but primarily so that we can find our way when we are working through scripture. But he uses this word, I mean, and in the, in the Greek, it's to lay to rest, moving to a conclusion. And so he, we're beginning chapter 4 with an idea, I'm going to make an argument to lay to rest what I've already said. So we'll back up to Galatians 3 as a recap. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So what does he say? He says the identity of race, socioeconomics, and gender are not found in Christ. That's the argument he lays out there at the end of chapter 3. Those who are in Christ are heirs to the promise. So he's made the statement, and this is what he says coming into chapter 4. He comes in and he says, now I'm going to lay to rest the argument for you. And what is the argument? That there is a promise. Now, when somebody makes a promise, is there not an expectation that they're going to uphold the promise? We, we, we consider that when somebody says, I promise I'm going to do that. Like, we consider it to be stronger language than like, yeah, I'll do that. And so this language of promise is being used over and over and over in a way that really transcends anything that you and I could try to communicate to one another. He goes on in verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. What is, what is he saying? He says that when, when there is a birthing process, right, a child comes in and they are under a guardian until the date set by his father, until the date that the father says, 
you know what? You've become a man. You know what? You're stepping into manhood. And this this like this like balance. And if you're a dad that has done this long enough, there's this this balance that I'm just now beginning to try to you know, work through this transition myself of like trying to make sure that my oldest is not just taking the fun of being an adult, but also working towards the responsibility of being an adult. And, you know, uh, they, they tell us that we live in a, in a time period right now of what's called extended adolescence, that it is not untypical in the United States for young men to still be adolescents in their early 30s. And so this idea of adolescence is the idea of wanting all the benefits of being an adult without the responsibility of being an adult. And and I just want you to know, like as a parent, this is an active process. This is actively trying to teach our children how to accept responsibility for their actions and then how to accept responsibility for their commitments, right? for the things that they say that they'll do. Like, this is something we're trying to instill in them because I do not want a 35-year-old adolescent that I call son or daughter. And so I'm working hard to, to try to break this model. I'd like to be on the other side of that. I'd like to be the anomaly maybe within my community. And so what we end up with today is we end up with a boy trapped in a man's body. And so you can literally have people with big old beards coming in telling you how it is, but at the end of the day, they're just boys. They don't accept responsibility for their actions. They love to tell you what you need to do with your actions, but they don't accept responsibility for their own actions. And Paul says that like, this is a normal part of life, but it has to come to an end, right? There's a transition. You're not going to forever be an adolescent. And Paul's going, I hope you get this. I hope you're connecting with this. Back into verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Right? We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When you're a child, right, we tell our kids, do this and do that. We don't let them make all of their own decisions. My kids want to go play in the middle of victory. I say, not happening. I don't go. Now, that's probably not a great idea, but you're, you're, you're your own person. You're an individual. Go over there and pop up your tent at the red light. No. The, the answer is no. You're not doing that, right? And there are so many times, right, where we are with our children and they get it in their head. They want to do something, and I can't convince them that it's not safe, that it's foolish. So I have to be a dad and go, The answer is still no. I know you really, really want to, but you just don't know what I know. And I obviously lack the communication skills to be able to help you understand. So what am I going to do until you gain comprehension and I become a better communicator? The answer is no. And then one day, hopefully that happens and you begin to go, oh man, that makes a little bit more sense. Listen, I'm a grown man. I have revelation all the time right down the road and I'll call my mom and be like, mom, now I get it, Right? I mean, it only took 42 years, right, uh, to be able to gain some understanding. So with our children, sometimes no means no. It just, I'm sorry, I know all the other kids are doing it, but you're not doing it. Now, the conversation that happens when the kids walk away is, can you believe their parents let them do that, right? Because there are just things that are just not safe for kids to do. And so Paul says, this is a normal order right? You're going to be told to do things, to not do things. That's a part of moving from childhood into adulthood. So this word fullness, he says here in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman under the law. This word fullness means completed. And and the, the language that Paul is using when he uses this, but when the fullness of time had come, okay? This idea of completed is he says it's in the final throes of labor. So uh, if you're a lady and you've had a child, you know what those final moments of labor are like. If you are a man and 
you have been beside a woman in the final throes of labor, you know what those final throes of labor are like, right? And my wife is as sweet as they come, so kind. I saw a different woman in those final moments making direct eye contact and explicitly stating how she felt about certain things, telling me to stop, right? And I was just trying to be helpful. So there is, there's a picture that's being painted for you and I, and that picture is that like, like Jesus comes as time is in the final throes of labor. Like things were coming undone, and Jesus is showing up, and it says that God sent forth his son, right? He dispatched him is, is the, the word in the Greek. Like he sent him, not he created him in the sense of like there was no Jesus. This is part of that language that, that gets really complicated around the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. This is one of, those, one of those passages that scholars will point to because it doesn't say that God was like, oh, I got to design something. No, he dispatched his son. How did he dispatch him? Born of woman, born under the law, because to be born is to become. So he dispatched his son to become through woman, to become under the law. Why? Jesus had to come under the law to live a sinless life, to be able to fulfill that which the law was holding against us. And so he's birthed under it, but as a child, and this is what Paul's saying, is that as a child, he was under the law, and there's all these do's and don'ts, right? But there was a beautiful moment in which Jesus would die on the cross. He would be resurrected, no longer bound to the law. Why? Because he stepped out of adolescence. And the invitation for all of us is to step out of adolescence in the faith. So how did he do this? Jesus became a flesh, flesh and blood. And so God, in the flesh, came and did what none of us could do. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his sons. So this word redeem is to rescue from loss or ruin. So we were facing imminent ruin. You and I facing imminent ruin. And what happens, right? Jesus comes and does what? He adopts us. Divine adoptions as son, to be placed as a son. That meant that we were facing ruin and God executed a plan that adopted you, it grafted you into the family. Now, I have a really good picture of what this looks like. Uh, my biological mother uh, ran off when I was a child. Uh, in fact, she came home pregnant with another man's baby and left my dad. And so my dad, who was in the Air Force at the time, was given a family hardship discharge because he had two little kids, me and my sister, who were just a couple of years old, and he was trying to figure out how to balance taking care of us and fulfill his duties because my biological mom had run off. So we come and we live with my grandmother, and then my dad meets a woman at church. They get married. She adopts me, does all the paperwork, all the legal stuff that has to happen, and, and she, she adopts me to make me and my sister hers. And so today, if you've spent any time around me, you don't hear me go, my stepmom or my biological mom. You just hear me talk about mom because I have one mom. And it's the mom that paid the price and adopted me. So, so like, I get this. I, I hope that this can make sense to you. Like, I don't think about the, the woman that brought me into the world. I think about the woman that got me through the world. So when the time had come, through the intensity of birthing, Jesus comes to give you an identity as a son, as a daughter to the Father. And so legalism under the law demands compliance. You do this, you do that. You do this, you do that. 
for the rest of your life, but freedom demands relationship. Do you understand that even freedom within our nation demands a relationship among the people in our community? In order for us to be able to execute the freedom that has been won for our society, there has to be a relationship that is happening among all the people around us so as that we don't hate each other and create crazy laws that create oppression. And it's a balancing act for humanity, but God does it seamlessly. He does it with perfection. And so freedom demands relationship with him. And I want you to know that it is possible to read the Bible and never know the wisdom of God. And it is possible to pray and never experience the intimacy of God. And so if reading the Bible and putting some words out of your mouth is how you consider that you are a saved person. Paul is laying out some arguments. That legalism, that idea of I've just got to do these things, that is not the picture of salvation. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is a really interesting uh, idea here because he, it says here, uh, uh, set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying. Okay, and this word crying here is to cry out, to shriek. Okay, this is not a mourningful cry. This is not a, oh, 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 I just feel so sad, and they're so mean to me, and no, me, 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 daddy, come save me. Right? No, this is that excitement. This is that, this is that, 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 that cry, and if you're a dad, I hope you've experienced this. It's one of the best things in the world to come in at the end of the day and walk through the door and have all the kids uh, and, the, and, the, and actually everything that's living in the house except for the cat start screaming, Daddy's home, right? I mean, the cat just kind of and moves to the other room. Maybe it's just me. Maybe your cat comes and runs and jumps into your arms, right? Let me tell you something. I feed the cat, so don't think I'm mean to it or something. But everything else, the dogs come running, the kids are screaming, Daddy's home! And my wife comes up, I get a very great kiss and maybe a little, you know, pat on the shoulder. And the kids are coming around and they want me to pick them up. And, and as they get older, there's less of that, right? But there's a moment where it's like, man, like this, those are the days, right? And, and that's the relationship right here that he's talking about when he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, right, Abba. And this is baby talk for dad. Abba father is daddy, right? You know, you get older and it's like at some point you start feeling weird, especially if you're a guy in our culture to keep calling your dad daddy, right? It's like, I, I got to call him dad or father or pop or papa or something, you know, because daddy, that's baby talk, right? Now, I know ladies, they, they, do, a, they, they do this differently typically, and, and I'll, you'll hear ladies still call their dad daddy, right? But a lot of times, you know, guys will be like, hey, dad, what's up? It's like there's something that's going on. But he says that what happens in, this, when, in the fulfillment of this promise when you turn your heart to him, like something happens in, inside of you, and you begin to cry out. There's a shriek. There's an excitement and you view your dad, your spiritual dad, God the Father, with this like childlike faith, this baby language, right? And so there's a difference here between daddy and dad. And it's not that one's bad, but that initial moment, right? That birthing that's taking place, man, that's, there's something happening there and it creates excitement. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. When that transition, when that moment happens, you're not a slave anymore. You're not bound to the do this and do that, and I'll decide whether or not I approve of you or not. No, 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 no. You, you find freedom. And so what's he saying? He says, you have value. You matter. You are unique. You are one in a million. You are loved. You are important. You are known. You are not alone. Everything about your identity begins to, to come alive and you begin to realize, oh my goodness, like I'm a child of God. 
Christ inside of me, right? I don't have to be anchored into all these other things like, hey, they're not going to be impressed with me if I don't tell them all the things I've done with my life or what my favorite t-shirt in my closet is. Otherwise, they're going to think I'm terrible. No, 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 no. There's this identity that births inside of you that you'll experience here. And so this is what Paul is, is inching towards. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You know, as a parent, you're going to have that conversation with your kids probably a couple of times, but you're going to have that moment where you have to sit down and go, all right, it's time to grow up. Sometimes that's a push, right? Right? Sometimes it's a push. You go, it's time. We, we've, there's got to be some changes here. Like your behavior and the way that you're, uh, you know, modeling life right now is not going to get you to where you want to go. So we've got to have a conversation. It's time to grow up. That's what Paul's doing right here. And so there are three things that, that must happen that he's going to lay out. So if you're taking notes, you could write these down. Uh, the first one is receive a new heart, right? That new heart, begin to understand who you are in Christ. He is my daddy. He is, he has come in and said, hey, that's my child right? You don't get to touch him or her. That's my child. And the law focuses on behavior, not the heart. The law says, listen, I don't care what's going on inside of you. Keep it to yourself. Comply to our expectations. And, and I get it. Like There are loads of us in humanity who do that. Let me step on some feelings for a moment, just getting my courage up, right? They say, what are your pronouns? And somebody said, oh, I, don't really, I don't really play that game, but yeah, okay, uh, what do you want them to be? But some of us, we got some rebellion inside of us, and we're like, you know, boogity blue, that's my pronoun. Then everybody gets upset, why? Because you're not complying. You're not, there's no virtue in you. Why? Because the virtue is not measured by your heart, it is measured by your actions. That's what Paul's saying. He says that you are equating virtue based on how you act, what you do, the things you say. And because you're not saying them the right way, you must not be a good enough person. And he's saying like, oh, that's wrong. Like, that's not truth, right? That's not truth. Like you're not, your identity isn't found in all of those things. And so as a parent, I parent from the inside out, not the outside in. I can, I can get my kids, right, to do what I'm telling them to do, right? I can be that old big bad daddy, right, that you see in the movies with the belt swinging like a whip, and I'm going to tell you what, you're going to do what I say, right? What good does that do? All that does is raise up a heart of resentment and anger and hate inside. And then what do, you, what do, I, what do I release on the earth? A monster. So I don't parent in the moment, I parent for the future. And so I sit down and I engage with my kids. Yes, there's consequences for actions, make no mistake, but I need them to have heart change happening so that they don't keep making the same decisions. There has to be a heart transformation that takes place. God, you commit and surrender, it's like that. As a dad, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of conversations. Sometimes it's a lot of tears. It's a lot of struggle, but it's necessary. And Paul's using this language because he, he's hoping that you'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, I get that. Like, I get what that looks like. I've been a child or I have children. Well, I guess it wouldn't be or. It'd be and I have children or I'm a child. Anyway, I'm getting in my own head here. Without a heart change, you need an external law. Because if your heart's not going to be pure and your heart's not going to be right, then, yeah, you need somebody telling you what to do. But with a heart change, you know right and wrong. You know not to hurt people, right? You know that, listen, you understand this really finite balance called love. And let me tell you about love. Love is not compliance. Love is truth. Truth sets you free. And sometimes the most loving thing we can say Right? And we get this, and he's using language here with parents and kids. Sometimes the most loving thing we can say to our kids is that they're wrong. And as a child, they can believe it in the depths of who they are. No, 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 I'm totally right. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Now, 
I could be a really cool hip parent and be like, yeah, we'll go with that. But it's not true. So I'm not really loving them. And what happens with a heart change is you begin to realize that love is not always happy-go-feely joy. Sometimes it's difficult and it's tender and it's tough. Ezekiel chapter 36, we went through this a few months ago. This is how he says it uh, in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, So like before that transformation right? There's just, there's a heart of stone inside of you. Now, let me tell you, here's what we have to remember is that people who don't know Jesus and aren't living for Jesus, they have that heart of stone inside of them. So, so don't, don't get all offended when somebody that's not loving Jesus and serving Jesus is doing things that don't love Jesus and serve Jesus. They need a heart transformation. But before we can worry about their heart transformation, Paul wants to make sure that you're worrying about your heart transformation. It reminds me really of like this idea around the power of a daughter's heart. Um, there's just such a drastic difference. And I'm experiencing this firsthand right now. I have a, a, a son who's about to turn 19 in just a couple of weeks. And I realized that it was a lot easier to be tough on him than it is to be tough on my daughter. Because he would look at me and I could see in his eyes, like, do I want to fist fight dad or do I want to comply? right? I'm just kind of being like, there's just a difference there. Like I'm assuming maybe that was a feeling I had with my dad. But, but my daughter, she looks into my eyes and they get all really big and wet. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do, right? Yeah, she knows that she's back there tucking her hair behind her ear, right? There's something about heart change. There's something about the way that it changes everything. I was, I was, thinking just, just this last week because uh, uh, our daughter Caitlin had an allergic reaction this week and, and it was bad. Like we were really worried about her. We were at the doctor. She blacked out multiple times. Uh, she was swelling up. We don't know what caused it. And I was just thinking about like what happened in my heart when, I was, when she was a little baby and we were driving and she was screaming in the back seat and and Carmen, you know, we, would, we lived hours away uh, from Savannah at the time, but we would have to come back and forth. And so uh, uh, she would be screaming and Carmen would be trying to do everything she could to console her. But if she was behind me while I was driving, I could grab her feet and rub them and she would, it would soothe her and put her to sleep, right? And, and that was just something I had never really considered doing for my son before, right? Now, if he's feeling jealous right now, I'm not sure where he's at, but I can give you a foot rub at home if that's what needs to happen, right? But there's just something, right? That you, If you have a daughter, you, you'll, you'll get this. If not, I, I still think that you kind of understand what it is that I'm talking about. Have you ever wondered, though, how David became a man after God's own heart, right? And yes, God has a heart. Like, legitimately, the Word of God talks about that heart, okay? Have you ever wondered that, right? Because, I mean, David ends up uh, seeing a woman bathing on a roof. She's married. He's like, eh, her husband's at war. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, tries to trick her husband into thinking that it's uh, his baby. But the husband is so hardcore committed to David that when he comes home and is supposed to go be intimate with his own wife, he says, no, if the rest of the soldiers don't get to be with their families, I will lay at the door of my king and protect him tonight. And so instead of going to be home with his wife, he goes to protect the king. And David's so crazy in the head, he just sends the guy the next day out to the front lines to have him killed so that he can marry his wife. And then Jesus comes on the scene and is like, David is a man after God's own heart. Have you ever thought like, whoa, <laughs> like how do you get to that place, right? Psalm 51 gives us some insight. Beginning in verse 10, David, after he realized what he had done, prayed this prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the good news. This is the good news. It's if you're in here today and you're like, I have been a rotten, terrible person. I've been caught up in legalism and I am all about like doing what anybody wants and I don't have a relationship with God. The beautiful thing is, is that it is perfectly okay. Go to the king. 
and say, God, do what only you can do in my heart. And because David did that in the midst of treachery, even by today's standards, treachery, Jesus comes on the scene and says, that's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he wanted God's heart. Let's go back to Galatians 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? This is strong language, just so you know. I mean, he's saying, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? So the world's principles and guidelines, they're weak and elementary. God's got some better stuff going on, right? Whose slaves you want to be once more. So you want to be bound back? You want to go back to high school? Right? Anybody ever have those dreams? If you're, if, you're, if you're out of high school and you're an adult, have you ever had that dream where you're back in high school thinking to yourself, like, what is going on? I thought I escaped this place, right? Now, maybe you had a better high school experience than me, right? But when I, that is a nightmare, right? Going back and sitting in classes, waiting for a bell to ring to give me permission to go to the bathroom, right? You know, like if I need to go to the bathroom, I love the freedom of being able to go to the bathroom. And it's something that I celebrate, right? You know, because I, I, I don't have to wait wait on a bell to go, you got five minutes. Can you make it to the locker and the bathroom? Go, right? I don't want to go back to that. And he says, yet you want to go back to that? You're reminiscing because your life is not better today? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. You're just doing these things. You're just going through the motions. Now you know God, but conform to what the world says to do. So you know God, but you're also conforming. And this is what he's calling out. You know God. Why are you doing it the way the world's telling you to do it? Do it the way that God said to do it. It's a better way. He says, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is that worry that he's got. Man, I, I'm concerned like because I've poured my time and energy. Can I, can I tell you, I have poured my time and energy and heart and resources into people who I have loved and been ready to lay down my life for to have them slap me in the face, throw a rock at me and run out the door and badmouth me. Not even be willing to sit down and have a conversation. I, I, I can't imagine the weight that Paul's feeling, right? Having planted all these churches in this region uh, of Galatia and, and finding out that these people are doing the opposite of the gospel that was presented. So it's not necessarily that these things are wrong that they're doing, but we do not find our identity in these things. This is a struggle we all face, but it is profoundly immature to comply. Profoundly immature to comply to the demands of the world when you are, have ex, uh, received freedom in the gospel, that you have been set free, that you get to experience freedom. So it is, there's an immaturity, there is a moving back to adolescence that's taking place when you just go, well, I'll just, you know, the world's got this thing, I'll just do it their way, I don't wanna rock the boat. So it's time to grow up. First thing, receive a new heart. The second thing, return to authenticity. The law tells you what to think, not how to think. God wants you to learn how to think because when your heart changes, right, you're going to begin to be able to have reason of your own. You're going to be able to then be authentic and genuine. This is something that Paul illustrates for them here in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. So he says, when I was with you, you, you were good to me, right? So you got to experience me. You saw how I modeled life. And so here's my invitation. I'm saying, be like me. I was authentic and real. I was a genuine person. Watch, watch what he goes on to say here. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition, right, was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So he says, look, I came to you and I was authentic. I didn't try to hide anything. I had a body ailment that you were fully aware of. Now, why does this matter? Well, you know, when we look back at this time period, right, 
Hopefully you are aware that there were not TVs, right? And so the spoken word of anything was something that people gravitated to. They wanted to hear great communicators and speakers, and it was a way to expand knowledge and and to think and to be entertained. And so these guys looked the part. And here comes Paul, and Paul says, I had a physical ailment. There was something wrong with me, and yet I still came confidently declaring the gospel. What what was this ailment? Verse 15, he says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So he says, you received it. You received my authenticity to such that you would gouge out your eyes and give them to me. Why would that be? Well, scholars argue that in Acts chapter 14, when Paul was up declaring the truth and the people didn't want to hear it, right? It says that he was stoned. Now, it was not uncommon in a stoning for somebody to be dragged to the top of a building upwards of 30 feet and thrown off of it to hit the ground and have people throwing rocks at them, right? Oftentimes, this would kill them, but almost every time it left them for the rest of their lives with an ailment. And scholars believe that Paul actually his sight was damaged during this, and that this is what he is referencing, that I come to you, my, I have this bodily ailment, I cannot see well, and you were so bought into my authenticity that I know that you would have given me your eyes. Acts chapter 23, this is just another like insight into this. Paul insults or offends the high priest, Right? And so the people here in verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And what does Paul say? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What does he say? He, he called this guy out, but he didn't know who he was calling out. And so a lot of scholars say that this is because of this bodily ailment, and it was most likely because Paul couldn't see well. So he wasn't a polished communicator at this point. He was struggling. This was probably the thorn in his flesh. Not some like crazy lust-filled desire deep inside. He probably was going to God all the time saying, God, I've seen you do the miraculous. I've seen you heal. And and I, I need you to do this. I want you to move. And God allowed him to keep it. Why? Because it helped him be authentic to a group of people. It was difficult for Paul But when he walked in and he didn't look like everybody else, and nonetheless he preached the gospel, when he could have easily said, I I hate God, these guys threw me off of a roof, I want nothing to do with it. No, he kept preaching this message. Let's go back to Galatians 4. So he says, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me if possible. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Right? Man, I I just got to tell you, I mean, if we aren't looking for truth, right? Like, th- this world's going to have problems. We need truth. I, I want truth. So, so, so if you know me and you do any, any life around me, and I'm always happy to grab coffee with people, get to know people, like, I want the truth. And if I get it wrong, I'll stand up here and tell you I got it wrong. I, 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 got, I got kids to raise. I, I've got a legacy that I believe God's called me to. So if I get it wrong, I'm going to tell you I got it wrong because I want to be able to model that. I don't, don't want to have this sense of pride that's like, no, I'm always right. Because I don't want to be that guy. Because I don't like that guy. I want truth. And Paul says, he says, have I become your enemy because of the truth? because I said something that was difficult and you didn't want to hear it, so now you hate me? So how can you tell the truth in the face of adversity? There's only one way to do that, and that's to know your identity, to know who you are. And so if you're just in this mindset of like, I don't know who I am, right? You're going to struggle with being an honest person, but as soon as you realize like, no, 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 I am okay with who I am. I am serving my creator and I am on point. I am on mission and I may not have all the answers, right? But I can speak the truth that has been revealed to me because I know who I am. It's said that security breeds authenticity and authenticity breeds trust. And so in order for you to be authentic, you're going to have to be secure in who you are and what you know, right? 
There's a difference between confidence and arrogance, right? I know some really confident people, some really confident people in this room, people who I have been looking to and thinking, man, they know what they're doing when it comes to this particular thing, and I want to know what they know. There's a big difference, though, between confidence and arrogance. And when it's confident, when there's a security, it's like, I'm not trying to be a jerk to you. I just know what I'm talking about, right? That breeds authenticity. And then there's a trust relationship that is birthed. So why breed insecurity? Why breed insecurity? Because it prevents you from being authentic. Now, I'm going to go and tell you right now, this is a work of the enemy. And it is rife through our world right now. When we talk about social media trying to create standards that you're trying to keep up with on what you can and cannot post, can I tell you the enemy is breeding insecurity? I mean, people are losing their jobs because of something that they have said. Why is that? Let me tell you, it is not because that one person needs to go. Because if that were the case, it would be done in private. It's made a public spectacle so that we all understand that there's an insecurity that we had better be walking in. But as Christians, we don't have to do that. And Paul says, Paul says, like, like because I speak the truth, because I know who I am, because I showed up to you, and yeah, yeah, I was messed up. Physically, I, I wasn't as cool and hip as everybody else, but I still told you, there, so you're gonna hate me for that? You're gonna despise me for that? Not gonna happen. He goes on here, he says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Such strong words for today. Oh yeah, you'll join our cause. You'll do it. Man, look at this person. They're so great. They're so cool. But the end goal is not about lifting you up because of your compliance. Because what they do is they go, look, they complied. They complied. They complied. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What does he say? He says, man, I came. I thought I set you out to be adults, and what am I having to do? I'm having to go through this again, right? Come on. Some of the mamas in here, could you imagine having to rebirth one of your grown children? That's what Paul says. Paul says, look, I mean, I got to go through all this again. Like, we got to start all over because you aren't getting the simplicity of the gospel and the need to refuse the ways of the world. And so Paul is personally experiencing hurt from those who once were filled with the hope of Christ but are now given over to a madness the world has bred. And the world will always breed madness. It will always breed madness. And so when you sit down with somebody who's in their 70s or 80s or 90s and you're talking about COVID and they're like, ah, oh, I lived through the Spanish flu. It was worse than this, right? We have to keep the perspective that the madness that we're experiencing is a cycle that this world breeds. And yeah, we can look at it and it's definitely the darkest I've ever seen it. But here's the good news. I'm only 42 years old. So if I'll just read a few books, right? uh, Something that's a little bit older than me, I might go, oh man, the world's been in some pretty dark places before. And if I move outside of my little mainstream network, I might actually find out there's some pretty dark things happening in the world right now. And I talk about China a lot. Because I'm telling you right now, there are some atrocious things happening in China. And we've got people going, oh, we're, we're customers. You don't talk to customers this way. No way. That's not what our voice, that's, not com- that's compliance. That's not what our voices are meant for. We stand up against, against tyranny, against evil. Why? Not because it's the, there's a rule that says we do it. Because our hearts won't tolerate the lies of the enemy. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. What is he saying? He's just nailing this down. He's just like, I just don't get it. 
right? When people abandon reason, those who remain in the position of reason are baffled by the decisions they make, right? Have you ever just been baffled by the decisions somebody's making? You're like, what are they doing, right? So, Receive a new heart, return to authenticity, and finally, rely on the promise. The law demands your compliance. It demands you do it this way and you do it that way. He goes here in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What's the point? This is going to get good. Like, this was good for me. I got, last week, I got excited towards the end. I'm excited again because this was hopefully... Y'all got to smile. I know I started off intense at the beginning, but it's going to be okay. Jesus is king. He's on the throne, and we're going to make it, right? Come on. Double standards. He says, look, you're trying to tell me about the law, but do you not even know what the law says, right? You tell me I need to comply, but you need to make sure you understand because there's a whole lot of compliance that comes. When you start that little cascading domino, like have you looked at the one that's at the end, right? Do you know what you're subjecting yourself to, right? He says, it's all or nothing. It's not a little bit. It's not like I'll just do a little bit of this and they'll leave me alone. It's all or nothing. And watch what he does here, right? Okay? Okay? And, 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 and as we jump into these verses, I just want to make a few statements here. Okay? Christians stand against Marxism, not because it's like, oh, it's the big bag boogeyman. But when somebody says they're a Marxist, we stand against it because it demands the removal of Christianity. Somebody comes in and goes, well, my ultimate goal here is to wipe all the Christians off the face of the earth. I'm not running up there going, could I be a part of your team? Please, please take me, pick me. I love Jesus. No, that's insanity. Like, why would I go and do that? Christians do not stand with organizations who declare they stand against the heterosexual norm. Somebody goes, I stand against the heterosexual norm, right? Because we believe God has designed us just as we are. Now, I'm, I am telling you, and you may not like it, and you may say all types of things about me, I am perfectly fine with people who do not know Jesus living how they want to live their lives, right, to some level of, like, agreement, okay? But it doesn't change the Word of God. Sin is still sin. And can I tell you something? I have been wrapped up, bound in sin, and made a fool of more times in my life than I care to admit, so I am not any better than anybody else, but I, don't, I do not expect somebody to come in when I'm in sin and be like, well, it's okay, you know, you know you're a good person, you mainly do good. No, I don't want sin in my life. David in Psalm 139 says, Lord, even though you know everything about me, search me, see if there's any wickedness in my heart, reveal it so that I will be removed from it. And so as Christians, we don't, we don't partner with these things. It's all or nothing. You either jump, hit, jump in and just start swimming deep, right? Or you stay with Christ. And so here's the beautiful part. Here's where we get, right? Christians don't need to partner with compromise to be Christ's hands and feet. Can I tell you something? We can do everything that this world needs from the position of Jesus. We can fight racism, we can fight hate, all of the little things that really do matter in our world. We do not have to partner with something that is against God in order to see revol revolution take place. I believe it deep in my heart. I stand on it, right? I'm not going to compromise. And Paul is saying, don't compromise. Out of your new heart, the, there'll be an overflow and an abundance. You'll do good things, right? You'll fight for true equality. You will make sure that people are experiencing freedom. Why? Because by them seeing us do that, and the world doesn't want people to see us do that, because when they see us do that, they look at you and go, I want what you've got. Like, you're a good person. I want what you've got. I want to know the God that you know. So Paul is about to lay out the argument, okay? There is either serving what man makes or what God makes. And this is where he sums this, this idea up. And I'm going to move real quickly for you. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the, sons of the, slave was, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. I'll just point out real quick, 
This word allegorically, it means symbolized or interpreted. He says, so one was born of the flesh, one was born of God. That This could be interpreted this way. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. I just want to point one thing, and then I'm going to close this up, but just a reality you have to be aware of, that when we are talking about eternity, and we are talking about those who are in Christ and those who are away from Christ, this is not the only time in the text that we find this out, but it's something we should be aware of. There will be more that run from Christ than there will be those that turn to Christ. And so you should always, you should always take a pause and make sure that if you are in an environment where everybody's doing the same thing, doesn't mean that you're not, but you should be able to pause, use reason, pray to God, make sure you're in the right place. Because we can get caught up politically right or left in the church, hyper-spiritual or hyper-away from spiritual. I don't know what the term there would be. We can get caught up in all these extremes and miss God and be wrong. Like there's not like, there's just like this, like we just got to be where the mass of people are at. We've got to be where Christ is at. It's really important, okay? So now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But, you, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. We're not going to get the same reward. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So this is what happens. I'm going to close right here. You have Abraham and Sarah, and God makes a promise, and he says, I'm going to send a son, and, and, and through that, and he laid this out in chapter 3, right? He says that there is going to be a descendant. There is going to be one who comes, the hope of humanity. Paul says that Abraham says, okay, I believe that, and God says, you believed in Christ, and he counts it as righteousness. So, they're old. In case you were not aware of this, they were past childbearing age, but Sarah was barren her whole life, had never had kids. And so they're waiting and they're going, well, God said there's going to be a child. And so Sarah makes a suggestion. Hey, Abraham, I've got this handmaiden over here. Why don't you uh, sleep with her? Abraham was like, okay. Goes over there, sleeps with her, and they have a child. God shows up and says, hey, uh, that's, that's not the child. Taking matters into your own hands, that's not the child. There's a child that's coming. And so Ishmael is born out of human ability. Watch this. Ishmael is born out of human ability, out of legalism, out of we've got to have a child. How do we get a child? This is how we get a child. Here's the do's and the don'ts. Born out of human ability, Right? Followers of Ishmael to this day expect a judgment based on human ability. When we talk about Islam and you ask them about eternity, anybody who is a true follower will say, well, one day when I stand before God, uh, there will be a scale of all the good things and all the bad things and whichever one outweighs the other, that will determine my eternity. Now, there are a few escape clauses in there through suicide bombings and, you know, violence. But to this day, to this day, human ability, followers of Ishmael. Isaac, however, is born of God's ability. Watch this. This is so cool. So Sarah was barren, marginalized. Why? Because if you didn't have children, you were worthless. 
What good were you to your husband because you didn't carry on the family name? She lacked confidence and did not believe in herself. Do you know that she, in order to send her handmaiden over there and try to take things into her own hands, it's because she didn't even believe in her own capacity before God? And so, watch this. Ishmael and Isaac, Paul says, were a foreshadowing in Genesis of the law of the world and Christ. God used humanity's ability and his ability to paint a very subtle picture that you and I would be able to go that Ishmael is representative of all of the law and that Isaac is representative of what God will do when you just let him do it. This is why I said last week, context is more than the verse before or the verse after or an entire chapter. It's from Genesis to Revelation because that story that takes place back in Genesis is the foreshadowing of Galatians teaching right here that Ishmael is, a, is an entire ideology built around do this and do that and this is what's going to make it. And God says, what? They're cast out. Get out. There is no reward for that. The reward is for one thing, the promise that came from Abraham to Isaac and followed lineage to Jesus. And Paul's saying, like, like, here's the span. This is it. It's always been this. It has always been Jesus alone. And so you cannot manufacture a heart for God. Hear me today. There is no amount of good that you will do in this world that will impress God. You won't manufacture that heart. You will not form some, what you will end up with is a Frankenstein monster. And you'll walk in there to eternity and you'll be pumping electricity through it and you'll be thinking, oh, this is going to be so great. And it's going to stand up and you're going to be like, whoa, I made that. And God's trying to say now, like, you can, you can just let go of that and surrender to his will. So we have to stop giving God Ishmael and let him birth Isaac inside of us. Stand to our feet as we close right now. I'm gonna pray with you and then we're gonna get out of here. Listen, Paul, Paul is, he's frustrated. This letter looks radically different than his other letters. He's being very pointed, very direct in what he is saying, and he's telling them, listen, you have got to stop playing this game. Because at the end of the day, what you have got to receive, only Jesus can bring to you. And then there's got to be some confidence inside of you. You've received this heart, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. I'm a child of God. And yeah, man, I may speak the truth and it may hurt your feelings, but that's what love looks like sometimes. Sometimes I say things out of love to my kids and they burst into tears. And my immediate reaction can be, oh, oh I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to say that. But that's, that's not what I'm attempting to do there. I love them. Sometimes love is, it's a tender place, but it's always the best place. We turn our heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. Lord, we genuinely right now know that we live in, a, in an age that doesn't surprise you. It's not unlike something you've ever seen before. It is, it is scary to us. Lord, we need truth, we need reality, we need facts. But beyond all of that, we need you. We need you. And so we, we rely on you, we lean into you. And I just thank you, God, because I know, I know that you're here in the midst of this. I know you're in the midst of, of my emotions, that you're in the midst of our legislative body in America, that you're in the midst of governments all over the world. God, I know that you are right now operating in some of the darkest parts of our world. Whether it is Muslim Uyghurs who are, who are, being, who are being butchered for their organs 
or whether it is a child being sold into some type of slavery in Southeast Asia. God, you're in the midst of all of that. And it's the same message. Turn your heart to Jesus. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I feel my own despair. I feel my own, the walls around me closing in. But I, I have to surrender to you, God. And so I just pray that you would use us. Let us be a light in the darkness, a beacon on the hill. We thank you for all that you do. In your mighty name, amen and amen. Listen, before you leave today, if you need prayer, our prayer ministry team is at the back. If you want information on anything, we are available. We love you guys. As always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday.